Pop quiz, Darlene. Okay. What's the number one gripe that I've made on the pod? I don't know. Something gardening related? No. It's this. Paying people for the stuff you want should not be hard. Right. Yes. You've mentioned. Lawyers deal with complex issues every day. Accepting payments from clients should not be one of them. True. And that's why we use Helsum. They are a Canadian payment processing company with a great reputation for service and transparency. And with Helsum, accepting all kinds of credit and debit card payments is easier, faster, and more affordable. Yeah. Helsum was designed for business owners. Through their cloud-based platform, they equip folks with tools like online invoicing, email and text message payment requests, and virtual terminal. And they do it with an interchange plus pricing model. So we here at the Lower Life Podcast are really impressed with Helsum, and we recommend that you give them a look if you want to make payments easy for your clients. Just visit helsum.com slash lawyer life to get your first $6,000 worth of processing free. That's H-E-L-C-I-M dot com slash lawyer life to get started with better payments today. Welcome to the Lori Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season five, we focus on entrepreneurship and innovation. On today's episode, we discuss delivering your unique services or asking ourselves when making something new, how do you stand above the crowd? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. Hello. How are you? Um, I am, uh, good, fine, average. Average? You're not average on, even on the worst of days. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So kind. Why average? I I mean, average for me, an average feeling. I feel like I'm in the middle. I'm doing fine, you know? Well, we've been talking about the crest and the trough in this pandemic time, so I guess average is in the middle of the wave. What's the name for that? You're the wave expert. Don't know. Okay. I do not know. As mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do well in high school physics, which came up on a recent call. <laughs> a I was recent amazed team. by how many of our inter alia lawyer team actually took grade 11 physics because it's optional here. And I certainly did not take it. Uh, you figure the lawyer types veer away from those sort of things. I tried. And I certainly veered away from physics after that. <laughs> it, <laughs> right. was, it was not a success. Put it that way. But anyway, nice to chat with you. Excited to do today's episode. Mm-hmm. We have the wonderful Kimberly Bennett joining us today, which I'm excited about. Before we get to her, though, um, I haven't found out how you are. We've been talking so much about my normal-ish feeling. <laughs> Your normal-ish feeling. I'm fine, also. Uh, okay. Fine. You know, it's winter, and I think it's harder sometimes to get excited about winter. And here... In uh, where where we are, the kids have been home from school doing online schooling, and it's been a bit of a challenge. It's, it's added an extra degree of complexity. So I'm looking forward to next week when, you know, despite the worries about everything, um, just looking for normalcy in our life and routine and um, social contact for them and stuff like that. Okay. Well, speaking of routine, let's get back into it. This is the second episode of this mini season that we're doing on, you know, making your own thing, uh, as a lawyer. And in episode one, you know, we talked about kind of the origin story of your, you know, beginning interalia law. And we spoke about how and why folks decide to step away from a more traditional role and create something new. And so today, um, you know, we're focusing really on someone who's done that 
Kimberly Bennett. And we're going to try to dig into the, how she made the decisions she made to create a service uh, that is uniquely hers and, and unique in the, the legal industry. So without further ado, uh, here is Kimberly Bennett. Hello. Laughing at the physics combo. <laughs> did you take physics? Is that a thing in the States? I did. I don't <gasps> think so, but I was also a pre-med student when I was an undergrad, so I took all those things. So it was just funny <laughs> to listen. Well, and it's nice to hear that little tidbit about you. But in general, can you uh, let us know, you know, what you do, where you're located, you know, introduce yourself to the listener, if you don't mind. So hi, I'm Kimberly Bennett. I'm a trademark and business strategy attorney, and I run K. Bennett Law, and it's a virtual brand protection and brand strategy law firm. We operate across the United States, and uh, we've been running our model for about 10 years. And so I've been growing the team, and it's been really fun. And it's, uh, I think the one thing I'm known best for is running a subscription-based law firm, and which means we totally have ditched the hourly model. We're all flat fee, or like I like to say, flat fee on steroids. <laughs> uh, that's great. And, and we're excited to dig into especially the flat fee on steroids part. Um, but uh, <laughs> before we get there, let's go back to the beginning. I mean, in our first episode uh, of this mini season, as I said, we discussed how folks uh, are motivated to start something new, you know, their, their beginning. So before you stepped out and, and started to build your own thing, where were you, uh, like mentally, what were you up to and what motivated you to start to make this sort of leap? I went to law school with the idea of bridging law and psychology. So I was in a joint degree program in law school, which was a seven year forever program came out in 2007. I actually didn't finish the PhD, I should say that. But because of my experience, it was much harder for me to get a traditional path because most of the time, particularly at that time, it was like, well, if you're not graduating in the next year and it's going to take you a couple of years while we love you and we love everything that in your background, we don't want to invest in you as a summer. So some of that like traditional way of doing the law, even when I was in law school, I didn't do. And then some of the opportunities weren't available to me because I wanted to do things differently. Like I wasn't supported in that in the traditional legal space. Fascinating, because one of the things Mike and I have talked about uh, many times on this podcast is that sometimes the the Petri dish in which innovation is created is really, it, it is that different perspective, right? Like that's what gives you the different way of looking at things. And um, so interesting to me, I feel like I should have done a law <laughs> PhD psychology. <laughs> it aligns very wow. well with my interests. Curiously, what what were you planning to go into criminal law with that? Or what was your original plan? So funny. Yeah, no. And I think that was a big part of the friction with me like leaving the program because it really was designed for and I guess I've always been the person that's like, I mean, so it's designed for that. Why not try it this way? And I think, you know, in like traditional spaces that just doesn't work. And I don't know, in my head, I just always was like, but of course it would work because I'm just going to try it and we'll just go with it. And I think I took that approach going into this program. It was interesting, but not not the place that I wanted to stay. And I don't think I had a full view on what the outcome was going to be, but I, I could see that that path was going to be an interesting intersection of bringing my psych background and my psych research and my psych studies to the law to create 
the type of change I want. And I will say, even when I left the program, my final mentor, which she was amazing, and shout out to Dr. Lamia Barakat, she said to me, even if you leave this program, you have all this knowledge, you will use it. And I was like, whatever, I don't want to hear that. Like, I'm just, I'm like, I'm just upset about the world. And I just left because, you know, it just wasn't fitting. But she's 100% right, because that's what I'm using today, right? Like, that is part of it. And so when I came out, I went into corporate, which was much more supportive of what I did and found it more valuable. And so I started in corporate in 07. Um, market crashed. I think we all kind of remember that time. And then I, my career kind of took a pause. And while it was still in the company, we weren't growing. A couple of years later, I decided, well, if I need to grow as a legal professional, I'm just going to have to just do it. And when I went out into private practice, um, that's where like this journey began. So the second kind of piece of what we spoke about in episode one was like making the thing unique to your passion, things that you're good at, really something that isn't just a standard fare, taking an inventory of what you can best deliver and kind of customizing your new legal offering to those strengths. So whether it's like retrospective now, you know, having done this for more than 10 years, or even maybe perhaps you understood yourself so well at the beginning, what pieces of you do you think are vital to uh, shaping the model that you have? Well, I'm not saying I don't think I understood myself that well (laughs) at that point. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think I think some of it was like test and tweak. I mean, I had a great therapist, so she was amazing. So she probably helped me see some things too. Um, but at the time and, 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 you know, with hindsight, right, I would say the mix of my experiences have, have allowed me to develop this model. Literally, I was billing by the hour and I was like, this is crappy. This can't be how we keep on doing it. It's causing frictions with my clients. It's causing me unease and unhappiness. I, what I did enjoy about corporate was like the consistency, right, of having that stable income coming in and really just dive, diving into problem solve. And the model in which I was working, in which was traditional law firm model, felt like it was anti that. It was this friction always all the time with like collecting. And maybe I was a new attorney, so like a new private practice attorney, so I didn't like understand it completely. But I would say my background in just experiences being a black woman, right? Growing up in the United States, uh, that my experience as being a lawyer, uh, even even as a newer lawyer, working in corporate, having my psych training and my psych background, and then always being like curious and, cur- and creative about like things that I was interested in, led me to say, I need to try something else. I've always been the kid growing up that said, well, I'm in the no position now, so I might as well ask and see if I get to yes. And if I don't get to yes, okay, I'll figure some other way. And I think that's the perspective I took. And I just decided, I like pitched it and decided, and that's where I went. So I would say it's just a combination of my upbringing, my my experiences with education, my experience, you know, just the way I think that led me to develop this model. But but I bet it that it does sound right to me that that knowledge is there, that approach is there, that that rigor from a different discipline is there. And I think the, uh, for me anyway, it really resonates because when in founding Interalia, one of the things that I was very focused on was trying to build something that had a bit more humanity to it on both the lawyer side and the client side and in the interaction. And we talk a lot about emotional intelligence and things like that, which aren't, I guess, maybe exactly psychological concepts, but they are so, they really inform a different way of practice. So 
let's jump into how this all built into the subscription firm because when we when we were scoping out this season, I just said I, I think we need to talk to Kim because the the foresight and the courage to make a subscription law firm in the year you know a decade ago is pretty big because what what I've experienced and I think what any lawyer can appreciate looking uh, from the outside in or looking at our our own profession is that there's a high degree of inertia. And when you try something new, first people mostly want to jump in and be like, here are the 80 reasons why that's not going to work. Did you get any of that when you started to say what you were going to do? I mean, yes, even to today. But I also would say (laughs) I I tried to stay underneath the radar for a while. Like I realized that there was when I would talk about it, there was so much inertia. I mean, at that time, being having a virtual practice was a big deal. And I was like, Mm -hmm. how is that a big deal? You know, like Mm. rules still required you not to have virtual practices. And I was like, that makes no sense. So like moving into this model, I thought, oh, this is going to be so much friction. And let me just do it and show that it works. And I just did it and kept on iterating on it. But for sure, I mean, to this day, I have people that tell me it doesn't work. And I'm like, well, that's okay. Thank you for your opinion. Right. I mean, it's like... (laughs) I mean, I feel like a lot of the time I'm told it doesn't work when no one has even tried it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe it didn't work for you and that's okay. I feel like I heard you say on a podcast, like, you know, maybe like trying that one version of it didn't work for you, but that doesn't mean you have to say the entire thing didn't work. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. iterate and continue to to test it if that's the thing that you want to do. And that's what I've done over 10 years. It's been iterations, right? What worked, what didn't work, and then continue to, to build upon that. Maybe explain a bit about what, I mean, we've sort of jumped in with the assumption that everyone listening knows what a subscription law firm is, but maybe give us a a short description in your own words so that we're 100% sure that we understand what it is that you've done. And then I definitely have a couple of questions about the pros and cons of the model. Sure. So it's it's clients paying for a set of services for a flat fee for a defined interval. And it's like over and over again, it's really capitalizing on on the premises and the principle that your best client is a repeat client, right? And that you want to develop develop more of a relationship driven model than simple transactional model or um, other models that are out there, right? And I mean that's really what it is. So if you do flat fees right now, you are on the path to designing a subscription law firm. It's really just saying to yourself. What set of services for a set time frame for a set client can I deliver? Um, you know, on and on and on, over and over again, and not the exact same thing, but uh, a selection over a course of time. And what is the client feedback like? What are they the the ones who love the model? What kind of things do they say to you? They are there. It's definitely for the proactive client, and but I will still say we have clients who want who aspire to be proactive that still are maybe a little more reactive but they aspire to it so what they like is that a big piece of this is that we become strategic partners to our clients right we are without being a full-time team member we are like a team member right we understand their business we understand their needs we have a deeper insight and that tracks back to my in-house experience right where it's just the level of knowledge goes deeper the longer you work with a client. And so we capitalize on that by um, being integrated into interesting ways. And so those that love it, love that we're strategic, love that we understand their business, love that they can have access to us when they need it, understand that they're still 
boundaries and parameters that still have to exist for us to be sustainable. And I'm really upfront with my clients. You know, I really try to pride myself on communication. We're not perfect. We we hiccup here and there, but they really like having the ability to know that there is a legal team that's there to support their business's growth and their brand's growth. I'm, I'm super fascinated with kind of the background work of how you get to, you know, the the fee for the subscription mm-hmm. and all, you know, anytime that you innovate, especially in such a definite, clear, simple way, you know, there's, there's risk that comes along with that. So for example, like how much time or how much confidence did you have uh, in like the first number that you put forward for the first subscription package? And was, you know, was that, were your nerves shot? Did you, you know, what was the feeling when you just kind of decided to go with it at first? Well, good question. (laughs) I mean, so here, basically what happened was I was talking to a client that I worked with already and I was like, wouldn't it be nice if we just worked like this, you know? And I was like, wouldn't it be nice if we just, you know, you knew what, you knew what it was, you just paid him. I just showed up and did some work, right? No big deal. And, and then I, and then I gave a price and they said, yes. And they said yes so fast. I'm a negotiator. I was like, crap, that was too fast. Like, <laughs> I could have asked for more, right? Like, yeah. so my initial thought was, and so that first subscription was $500 a month. Right. And I was like, okay, what if for $500 a month, like, we, I just showed up and, like, did these little things. And they said yes so fast, and that was it. And I will say, was I scared at the time? I was less scared because I was tired of, like, the other model. When they said yes, I was like, darn, I could have asked for more. But ultimately, I thought, okay, I'm going to get paid consistently now. And now I could just, you know, see how it works out. And at the time, I still wasn't with the hourly mindset. So I was like working like what that could feel like in terms of hours. But today, I mean, if I did a $500 subscription, I'd be fine because I know I built it for sustainability. Right. That's great to hear. I mean, the I think for anybody stepping out and trying something new, the the first time it launches is is a really difficult you know time and it and it can feel like uh, that's all there is and that it's you know there isn't that opportunity as you said to iterate to improve to change when in fact you know it's just the first offering it's just the first relationship it's just the first whatever you can see how it goes and continue to improve yeah hundred percent I mean I think it's the, I mean that's the thing it's like the subscription I have today is not the subscription I had a decade ago, not even close, right? But does it have elements? Did, did I learn from it? Absolutely. And I, the thing I say to everyone when they're thinking about this is like the thing that keeps you between recurring revenue and not having it is launching. Like that's the thing. Like it's not, there's, I mean, I can give you a framework and I can tell you how to do it. I mean, I teach attorneys to do that and other service-based professionals, but so what? you don't necessarily have to come to do it in my framework. It's one way, literally launch, like, and try it and test it and tweak it and keep going and say, and know that recurring revenue is a business that exists outside of the law that is quite successful. I mean, if you can go through all of your subscriptions right now, which you pay for and know that it's working. So why wouldn't we try to avail ourselves to a better way of showing up for ourselves and our clients? I was going to let Mike respond to that because I know he's good. he's over there doing like fist pumps in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what I was this meaning. is I was not on video. Too loud. It, would been, it just would have been inaudible. You would have said, <laughs> where did Mike get a full studio audience back there? 
Yes. And all of those things that you're saying, I fully agree that j- the just start thing. And at Interalia, what we do is effectively almost like a subscription model in that we are we act as very much in-house counsel on certain matters for most of our clients. And for those clients, you know, they keep coming back because we're deeply embedded in the business. So um, it, for us, like, yes, it's hard to pinpoint what a flat monthly model might be because it, you know, that's the challenge. It always is. But there are sub-levels of service that we could certainly easily move to a subscription model. So we're always thinking about that kind of thing. And I think what one of the things you said is really what makes it work. So you you said to a client, wouldn't it be great if we could just work together like this and here's the price and they jumped at it. You know, that's not a bad thing to have happen on one level. I mean, certainly there are lawyers listening to this who are like, oh, don't leave money on the table and all the things that we say. But I really feel like developing a relationship of trust on pricing is so important to our model. And I think our profession doesn't have that. So we, if you can get your client, and I've had this experience myself, sort of comparable to what you described, where we get into something and we start really over delivering value, it will be obvious, right? There's a point where you say to the client, look, I think we're pretty underpriced for what value you're getting. Do you agree? And they say yes. <laughs> like, that's what they say. Um, and I think that that's, I'd rather start low than alienate a client because they're not feeling the value. So, and I think when you, when the number's too high, they don't loop you in as a strategic advisor. You just get the fires, um, and then you can't give the best advice. You can't avoid the fire. You have to be reactive, et cetera. So I, I think it's the sort of thing we all get worried about it. The lawyers, I think our nature, our education teaches us to watch for the risk, but, you know, watch for the opportunity. I think that's what you were doing there, right? Absolutely. And I think it's also people think about subscriptions and say, like, you have to everything in it. You actually don't, right? It's just about transparency and it's about the communication, like you said. And like, I I have the conversations with clients and saying, okay, it looks like we're going to have to do another project. So the way my subscriptions are designed, they're like services and projects, right? Services are included. They're ongoing. They're every month. Projects may not be, right? And if things elevate to being a project, then we have a conversation and they understand there's an additional cost to that. So I don't think we have to put ourselves in such a box that it's like, you can't um, design for the un- the quote unquote uncertainty. It's like that's inevitable with people's lives or their businesses. We can't predict every single thing. But what you can do mm-hmm. is put some parameters around it so that you can start having the conversation when it's time to have it. And that's a little bit of what we're doing. It's like really doubling down on the fact that we want clients to come to us. We we want to talk to people. Otherwise, we can't actually show up and, and do the things that we need to do to help support their life or their business. We've been talking about, you know, the difficulties of putting something together and the risks association associated with it and what have you. What are the benefits to you? Like what you know, compared to looking at yourself before you stepped away and created something new, like what it, what's the professional benefit? What is the personal benefit? What's the thing that you like most about where you're at with your career because of the way that you've innovated? Um, personal benefits, freedom, flexibility, being able to scale, predictability. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah. Wait, so yeah. can I? Yeah. Can we parse that out? Because I mean, alone uh, saying the ability to scale, I'm hyper fascinated with, and I think it can be a really important thing that we cover in this episode and even uh, in this mini 
series because the the whole problem being a you know a personal service sort of uh, industry is that it's really hard for lawyers to scale. All you have is your hour, right? So can we just talk about that for a second? What's your view on scaling, and then how? How have you found that you've achieved, uh, you know, scalability with the way that you deliver your yeah, services? Yeah, I think the hourly model is the most problematic way to value your services, and I think that's inherently why people have a hard time scaling. Like, we have to separate. I think service-based professionals in general, lawyers in particular, need to stop hourly model. Like internal for, you know, paying team members, that's a different thing versus billing it out, right? And so one, we don't even, I don't even think about the hourly model. And what I'm trying to do is, is design a process-driven, tech-enabled law firm, right? That I can turn up a dial, which would be like the marketing dial, and still be able to design, know what my output could be. And so I am on a constant daily mission to get there. So that's like really doubling down on processes and seeing what worked, trying to connect things to make it happen. Do we have all the tools to do that right now? Not necessarily, but where we were 10 years ago to where we are today, like hands down, totally different. So for me, it's one, not hourly, like you have to separate yourself and stop, and stop saying that your value is tied to the, to the hour and instead say, there's like an outcome, there's a deliverable, there's like a, there is, um, uh, reduction of something that you're trying to help the client with, whether it's like the emotion of having a divorce or like the emotion of like selling a business, right? And that's my focus. It's not about um, how many hours I spend, but how do I help them get to that outcome that, they're, that they desire, if I can at all, right? Sometimes you can't, but how do we get them at least close enough to it? I love that. <clears throat> I love that approach. And I love this concept of services versus projects, because when you say it that way, it really does take out a whole bunch of the the things that people say, like, well, what if, and if this, and can't control the other side. And I mean, you've heard mm -hmm. all these things before. And uh, I always find it just so fascinating, the interest that people take in in really laying all those points out and thinking, yeah, I never heard that, but those are really interesting points. <laughs> I've heard that one many times. And sp sorry, Darlene, to interrupt, but speaking of points, Kimberly, I interrupted you when you were listing off the things you like. You listed it, it helps your personal life and flexibility. Can you tell us more about the other things? I just got so excited about the scale. Oh, um, everything freedom, else freedom. <laughs> I'm like, what else was I saying? I don't know. I mean, freedom, yeah. I mean, I mean pre-pandemic, um, it was really, you know, the one, I built a virtual model first, and then it was like subscription after and they were within a within like back to back basically but the freedom to kind of work from anywhere um work with clients that i really like not have to think about every month like i have to get new clients now the longer my clients are with us for years right it's not like a you know one month and they're gone we're together for years so it brings a level of forecastability that, that gives mm -hmm. me the ease to say i need to take a break and I can and I'm still paid. So when I go to a conference, I'm still being paid. When I when I take vacation, I'm still being paid. Not because we're not delivering value to our clients, but I don't want to tie me being paid or not being paid to the hours I work. I want to tie it to the value I'm providing to clients. And that's what we, you know, that, that, that that's what we design and that's what we do at the firm. How about predictability? I guess that's sort of in the same boat. Um, was there a fourth one? I don't, I mean, I could probably name a bunch and I probably like change them all around when I have these conversations. I mean, predictability, I mean, it's like, I have, I know 
I can for you know know what's what's coming in over the next couple of months. I know you know if I need to, if I want to get to a different level, how many more clients that looks like. You know we we try to use data to to make decisions here. I mean I'm can I improve on our data collection? Absolutely, but the goal is to be a data driven firm so that should I want to like go sell it later. They don't need me. It's so run so well that they still want the firm itself. The firm is the asset, right? The the processes, the systems, the the way it's structured without even me still would work as soon as they plug and play their clients in. So the predictability comes from having the processes and continue to develop them out. I mean, like every time I do something twice, actually I lie. When I do something one time, I'm thinking, how do I make this a process? And how can I um, not do yeah. it again? <laughs> like manually, does that does it happen amazingly every time? No, but the point is like, that's how you think. So once you move and like, take away the hourly model and you say, I want to scale something, well, you have to be process driven. And then everything, I'm not worried about the hours. Yeah, okay, if I if, if it was a new issue that I've never learned about before, I'm always paid for it anyway, but maybe, it, maybe there's less of margins on that one. But the next time I do it, because we're process driven, guess what happens? It's, it's a better delivery for the client, it's a better experience for the team, it's more, it's higher profit margins for the firm. And that's what it's to me about, right? Like keeping that, that level of like sustainability with wellness built in so that we're not overworked and overwhelmed. For me, big law, sleeping underneath your desk was like not the thing for me. And so I just want to try to like not design that in my business. Well, I don't know how tall you are, Kimberly, <laughs> but I'm a short male. So I was, I think, <laughs> I was, it was comfy. Kind of George Costanza styles for me. Yeah. I didn't aspire to like work with those crazy hours because then when I was still thinking hourly and I did like the, the number calculation, I was like, well, that means I'm making how much an hour? Mm, nah. And, you know, one question that arises as you're speaking, too, is just, you know, you mentioned being a black woman, doing, having a little bit of a, a more, um, a, a different background in the law with the mix of psychology. I see you out there mentoring others, offering training, sharing your knowledge, really working to you know, bring everyone else along with you. And I think that's what I, it's so impressive to see. And I'll, I'll tell you just going to, you and I've met in person last year mm -hmm. around this time, which seems crazy to talk about, but um, I just have to say it was really important to me as a, as a female entrepreneur to see you and really a big group of innovative uh, men and women, but who were, you know, younger with a different approach no one saying there's one way to do it, no, uh, no barriers between sharing and wanting to help other entrepreneurs. And I just think that alone is such a contribution. So whether you're even doing it, you know, the innovation that you do is huge on top of that, but just being comfortable with, hey, you're doing something different too? That's great. Let's talk to each other, <laughs> you know? Great. I love that. Yeah. I think our profession needs so much more of that. I agree. I think we have unfortunately like um, really lifted up the competitive piece of it versus the collaborative piece of it. And with, you know, with what a year ago, none of us thought we would have been living through a pandemic in this way. And I think mm. understanding now the need for collaboration, the need for, um, mentorship, the need for 
community is is more is even more important and i as a as a profession we are so unhealthy i mean our numbers bear it out right uh, mm-hmm. they're just not good I, I i love having that community and i mean it's it's still unfortunately too small but i know more and more people the more they realize these communities exist would would be willing and open and ready to to jump in them and, and find that support that maybe they're not having right now especially those that are trying to be innovative and do things differently and i mean to be frank as a black woman i feel like there were a lot of roadblocks to my ability to have the the professional development that I wanted. So I took it upon myself to have it. And that was really important to me. And so I always want to, I always tell people, listen, I mean, I, I will always say I hate billable hour. I just think that's ridiculous. But that being said, like my model is one way. It's not going to be the way forever, but find one that works for you and then like try it and, and try it and keep tweaking it. But, but do things that also are aligned with how you want to show up because if nothing else, if we haven't learned anything else, we should design our lives to live, not to work. And I think this this profession is a lot about designing it to work and then living is like happen to happen to do. But no, we need to flip that. And I hope, you know, we're doing more and more of that now as we move forward. And, and for me, that's what this model, if I had a big takeaway from it, it's allowed me to de- design the life that I want to live. Well, what a great note, I think, to, to finish this part of the mm-hmm. conversation. I mean, that's perfect and motivating and exciting uh and some great advice in there so thank you for that kimberly i think what we'll do now is we'll go to our break and then we'll come back with our goods and gripes the lawyer life podcast is brought to you by interalia law Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. I'll start with my good just because it's it's basically a good related directly to Kimberly and her area of practice or one of her areas of practice. I just have to say as a, I just love trademarks so much. <laughs> I love trademark law. Uh, I don't square, I don't practice it uh, myself. Uh, I've been involved with some trademark stuff from time to time. I find it so exciting. And in Canada, we rarely get like a really juicy oh, trademark yeah. case. Uh, and we have we one. We do. We have one right now. Um, and it's about, uh, it's about beer, which is also fascinating and rock music. Uh, and so I, I don't know why I just am so compelled and interested in any trademark issue, but this is a, a fun one to take a look at. And I just like when they come up because it's so rare here in the great white North. So that's a good on my side. That is a really interesting one. Actually, that case, um, yeah, music and beer case. How Canadian, <laughs> Oh, it's actually shameful. I mean, at least it doesn't involve (laughs) hockey. That's like... (laughs) If there's any hockey interveners, that is just the ultimate. Um, My good is similarly, we... um, So we have a virtual, just kind of keeping up our chat, uh, keeping up our contact amongst our virtual team uh, at at Interalia. We have been kind of sharing information on case law and talking about our CPDs. And usually that's not the most exciting stuff. So... This week, our Supreme Court sort of, there was a big decision about good faith. And here in Canada, 
there is a duty of uh, good faith in exercising discretion in contracts now that is like very, and who knows how big a, a big shift this is. But for me, this is the kind of case law that I like to see. I, rec- I found an Apologies Act once looking for statutes in, uh, in our law. So we have some very, very Canadian laws, and it's fun to talk about them when, when we're on the line with someone from, uh, from the States. So that was, that's a good how about you, Kim? Do you have a good? Yeah, mine is probably, mine's going to be like a little less legal, but my good is uh, beginning of the year, I, um, one, I, a book that I revisit because it was really transformational in how I um, just approach intention. And so it's a book called Being is the New, New Doing, and it's the thing that I revisit and then I actually give to people I coach. And it's just a, a great read about how to Think about intention and think about the energy we're building to the impact that we want to create because impact is so important to me so i that's need to read that book yeah you, sure. you actually you you probably will like it i have yeah, given I will. the talks that you have and stuff so yeah <laughs> it's a lot about energy and time and peace of mind but i promise you if you're listening to it it's like worth the read because it will shift how you think about stuff okay let's go to gripes my gripe is about results and process and actually relates to Kimberly and I's alignment on hating to do something twice or more than twice. And actually, oddly, the, the way I get to, to all that is my grape is about the width of a shovel, the standard width of a shovel, a snow shovel. Why is it not? <laughs> why is it not the same width as a sidewalk? Mm-hmm. It's be, I, because now <laughs> it's the, we've had a lot of snow where, where Darlene and I live. So it's uh, top of mind. But I just want to be able to walk down the sidewalk once and push all the snow, and then it's done. Yeah. And uh, that's not the way it is, at least not with my current shovel. And it's frustrating. And it, and I know, and it should be designed like a snowplow that goes down the street. But anyway, this is, a, again, a very Canadian conversation. <laughs> Maybe we need to innovate. We do. We need to become Let's shovel do makers. it, a product. A product is very <laughs> easy <laughs> to scale. Yeah, right. That seems like a good use of our uh, our collective energy at this moment. Um, I, I don't know if I have a grape. I, uh, I, I don't have a lot of grapes today. I'll let Mike do the thank you here. Okay. Well, this has been great. <laughs> Kimberly, uh, we so appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for telling us about your practice. This is a great, I mean, your example is the perfect example for episode number two, this episode picking up after, you know, figuring out what folks might want to do and applying their talents and skills and passions. You're a person who, you know, really seems to have done that. And I think you gave us a lot to think about and to get motivated by. Um, So uh, thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This was fun. Okay. And and Darlene, we will talk soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.